Today's reading is taken from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 34, which you will find on page, page 918 of your, your Bibles. <clears throat> Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life and what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or, or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much, will, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Trevor, we have Dr. Trevor Addenbrook speaking to us this morning, a visiting preacher. <laughs> Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Johnny, for that reading. Do please keep page 918 open in front of you. This is a, a passage from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel, and we're going to look at it in the context of idolatry. This is our third and final sermon in the short series on idolatry, and the focus here is you cannot serve both God and money. I'll start with a prayer. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of hearing your Son speaking to his followers. We ask that your spirit will open our ears to hear his words and our minds to understand 
how we should live our lives in response to his teaching. Amen. Well, this passage comes in three sections. First, we're presented with a choice. Then we're presented with a reason for that choice. And finally, our response to making that choice. And we will look at these three sections in turn, and then we'll consider how it might look to us if we live lives in response to this teaching. So first, a choice. Verse 19 says, we can store up for ourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. And I say this with absolutely no flippancy. Bring it up to date. Treasures on earth where flood can destroy and wash away. Where the stock market can crash and I lose my investments. Where the company can cease to exist and my pension goes down the pan with it. It is a remarkable bit of teaching when we think about it. If we place our security in money and things that it can buy, we're actually living in perpetual, if unrecognized, insecurity. We do not know how long these things will last, and I do not know how long I will be around to enjoy them. The contrast is presented in verse 20. We can store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Now nothing can destroy or steal those away. The things that money can buy, I can see them, I can touch them, I can wear them, I can drive them, I can live in them, but they can all be lost, and I don't know when that might happen. But treasures in heaven, that is eternal, spiritual blessings, they are often invisible and intangible, but they are secure and safe, and I can rely on them. Now, you will have noticed that Jesus actually directs us in our choice. He says quite clearly, do not store up treasures on earth, but store up treasures in heaven. So why does Jesus rule out the former and rule in the latter? This brings us to our second point. There's a reason for making this choice. Verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Two things to note. Firstly, where your treasure is, not what your treasure is. Your treasure can be either on earth or in heaven. Secondly, note heart. There your heart will be also. Now, to a first century writer, the concept of heart had not been affected by Hollywood or Mills and Boone, or Valentine's Day. It's not about feelings. To a first century Jewish person, heart would have been the center of the person. Our thoughts, our decisions, that part of us that directs our actions. So this is what Jesus is saying. If I store up my treasure on earth, then my thoughts, decisions, and actions will be focused on this life. This is idolatry, as Matthew Henry puts it. 
the giving of that love and regard to worldly wealth that are due to God only. The giving of that love and regard to worldly wealth that are due to God only. However, if our treasure is in heaven, that is where our thoughts, decisions, and actions will be focused. Our thoughts and decisions here and now will be focused on God, his eternal will, and his eternal kingdom. Okay, but can't I pursue both of these, treasure in earth and treasure in heaven? No, Jesus says. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. This is the language of the servant serving a master, and clearly, I can't have two masters. At some point, their demands on me will conflict, and I will need to make a choice. I will need to choose to go with one, that is, be devoted to that one, and go against the other, thereby despising the other. So that's why I have to choose, because, verse 24, I cannot serve both God and money. Now I know that we in the Western world often squirm and feel a bit uncomfortable at Jesus' teaching on our attitude to money. And that's because we have money. Individually and collectively, we are well off. Remember, on a global scale, to own so much as a book makes you rich. To have a refrigerator in your house makes you wealthy beyond most people's wildest dreams. You heard the story of the vicar challenging the farmer. Excuse the accent here. No offense intended. If you had 200 pounds, would you give 100 pounds away? Why, of course I would. If you had two cows, would you give one cow away? Well, vicar, of course I would. If you had two pigs, would you give one away? Now, that's not fair, vicar. You know I've got two pigs. <laughs> we don't like to be challenged when we know it affects us. <clears throat> our money, our possessions, and our wealth. Now, Jesus is not saying that these things in themselves are the issue. Remember, Abraham was fabulously wealthy. It is our attitude towards them that is being challenged. Where is my heart? Whom do I serve? Paul writes to Timothy, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So if that's the case, what about my money, my possessions? And this brings us to our third point. There's, there is a response to choosing to serve God. And we're going to look at verses 22 and 23 which to us, on the face of it, appear to be about our eyes and whether they are good or bad. But these are, in fact, contrasting Jewish metaphors. Jesus' listeners and Matthew's first readers would have understood this as a metaphor for generosity. Good eyes means a generous spirit. If your eyes are bad, it means you have a grudging or jealous spirit. So if your eyes are good, that means you have a generous spirit, 
your heart is in the right place, then your whole body will be full of light. This again is that safe, secure, invisible, intangible treasure in heaven. Your body will be full of light. Now I'm going to give you two examples on the subject, if you like, of generosity and giving. First, the actions of John Wesley, and secondly, the words of C.S. Lewis. And I won't comment on these, I'll just leave you to ponder them and how you feel they apply to you. John Wesley's outlook on life and money was to earn what you can, live on as little of it as you need, and give the rest away. When he was at Oxford, he had an income of about 30 pounds a year. And he lived on 28 pounds a year and gave two pounds away. Later, his income rose to as much as 120 pounds a year. He still lived on 28 pounds a year and gave the rest away. C.S. Lewis writes as follows, and I assure you I have found this a great challenge this week as I prepared this sermon. If our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, and amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we're probably giving away too little. If our charities, that is our giving, do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. So if generosity is one response to choosing to serve God and not to serve money, another response is contained in the two-part command that comes in verses 25 and 33. Verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Be clear, Jesus is not saying, do not provide sensibly for the future. Nor is Jesus saying, if you follow me, you will not worry about these things. He is commanding us, do not worry. But why not worry about these things? Well, verse 27, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Worrying achieves nothing. More importantly, verse 32, for the pagans run after all these things. To worry about our life and our body is a sign of faithlessness. But the second part of the command comes in verse 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. As we read through the Bible, we learn as early as Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, that it is God's will to feed us and to clothe us. This teaching here is a matter of, or a question of, priorities. 
Yes, it's God's will to feed us and clothe us, but first, seek God. But what about when he doesn't? What about when we see the hardship of some believers? When God doesn't appear to be providing all these things? Is Jesus unrealistic or even unfeeling? No. Jesus knew hardship to the extreme of cruel nails and painful death on the cross. But he never lost complete trust in the Father. He never lost his desire to see his Father's kingdom come and his Father's will be done. We have to recognize we do live in a world marred by sin and suffering. We're not promised a bed of roses, but we are promised God's love and God's care. So we come again to those treasures in heaven, maybe unseen, maybe intangible, maybe not apparent until Jesus comes again, but secure and safe. So there we have it. I cannot serve God and money, so I choose to serve God. Therefore, I am to be generous, and I'm not to worry about my life or my body, but I am to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and thereby store up treasures in heaven. Finally then, what might this look like in our lives? Well, I have some ideas. You will have your own. You could talk about this over tea or coffee or with your prayer partners or in your house groups or with friends or family. What will my response to this teaching look like? Maybe it's time for me to live a more simple life that truly reflects my trust in God's generosity. Maybe I could eat more simply and spend less on fashion and on clothing because that would free up some of my money so that someone else doesn't need to worry about their next meal. Maybe there's something I need which I can afford to buy, but I could just borrow it from a friend. The money I had to buy that thing could then go towards buying someone else's daily bread. What if I receive a pay rise? Step one, thank God. Then start thinking, who needs this extra money that I've been blessed with? What if I receive a pay cut or I lose my job? Well, thank God. Thank God that my eternal security never depended on that income. What about putting some post-it notes around the house? Take verse 20. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Copy it out onto a post-it note. Maybe you have a drawer or a file where you keep bank statements. Stick it on there so you see that first before you see the bank statement. If you have a burglar alarm with the buttons, stick it on there so every time you set the burglar alarm you read that verse. My treasures in heaven cannot be stolen. Verse 25. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Copy it out onto a post-it note. Stick it on the fridge door so you see it before you make breakfast in the morning. 
Stick it on the full-length mirror that you use to check what you look like before you go out. Stick it on the wardrobe. So you read, seek first. The kingdom of God would be a good one to write out. So that we see these things before we see the clothes or the food or the money. Start giving up prayers at every step, every time we open our wallet. Just thank God for that money that I'm about to spend. Or best, perhaps. Take verse 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Write it out on our hearts so that everyone sees it. Not the words, but our actions. The way we live our lives. Amen.